Ben, here's Mike Sog from Seattle Sports 710 to get us ready for the World Series, which, don't tell me, has the uh, Astros going up against the Phillies, right? That's exactly right. You were talking here, by the way, to somebody who has baseball that was autographed by every, every member of the 1961 New York Yankees. Oh, wow, that must so, be impressive. I know a little bit about baseball. Clearly. Uh, what I'm not sure is... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to be playing in this game, but uh, <laughs> no, it's good not. to hear. Yeah. No. 61, wow. It's been a while. It's been, it's been a while. while. Yeah, but Mantle Maris are on there, and they you know... It's, it's kind of an interesting World Series. Says. It's not the one that everyone thought that we would get, right? I mean, the yeah. the, the National League especially, the the, Na- the Dodgers just dominated this year, and then the Padres took them out, and then the Phillies took out the Padres. The Phillies were the last team in. They, they were the extra wild card a year ago. They wouldn't have even made the postseason, but this year with the rule change and another team added in each league, they end up making it and just started rolling. They've gotten great starting were they pitching. A wild card? They were not only a wild card, they were the third wild card. Whoa. Yeah, they they wouldn't have even been so there. So wild a few card years teams ago. can make it. Absolutely. Oh, and I mean the Braves were the wild card team last year and they made they won the World Series. Do you like that rule? That a wild card team is allowed to win? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean <laughs> why put them in the playoffs if they're not allowed to win? Oh, I'm just saying I'm just, I'm just saying is is that is that a are, are you really determining who is the absolute best team? Not in baseball. No, you're determining who wins the World Series. Yeah. And those two things are not always the same, especially because baseball is played over 162. It's a marathon, not a sprint. There's some validity to that, and, and, and I think that's why they used to say winning the pennant was such a big thing, right? Because it, it meant you had over a long season shown you were the best team, and then the World Series sort of became, I want to say an afterthought, but at the beginning it was not built to be quite the the championship level thing that it eventually became but look whoever wins the world series was the best team that year when it was all said and done got hot at the right moment and the dodgers end up losing to the padres the phillies rode some some power hitting and some great starting pitching and a really cool environment in that stadium to a, a bunch of wins over teams that had been better than them over the course of the season. And so they're sort of the upstart underdogs. The Astros are, they're so good. Uh, Dave, I don't know what hole there is on this team. One through nine, their lineup's incredible. They hit for average. They hit for power. They get on base. Their pitching staff is unbelievable. One through 13. But people don't want to root for the Astros. That's what I'm finding. Nobody wants to root for the Astros. But the thing is, my my position is, I mean, if the Astros win the World Series, that means that the only team that could beat the Mariners was, you know, a a World Series-grade team. Well, not only is that true, but Lance McCullers, who actually started game three of that series, the the 18-inning game, who's had the Mariners' number forever. He's just been vicious against them. Actually said after the Yankees series, he was asked about whether or not um, they had thought at all about going perfect through the through the entire playoffs. I and mean, they haven't lost a game yet. Yeah. They swept the Mariners. They swept the Yankees. And if they go sweep the Phillies, that's a, just wow. a tremendous yeah. accomplishment. Uh, and he said, no, I haven't really thought about it. But he said, I'll tell you what, the Mariners were like the, the one team that if it wasn't, we were the only ones that could have beaten them. Yeah. So he sort of, that's without saying it, said, look, the Mariners are better than the Yankees. Yeah. They were the, they were the second best team out there this year. Uh, the thing is, though, a lot of the people that I work with mm-hmm. here in the studio really hate the Astros still because <laughs> of the cheating scandal. Yeah. 
I, I get it. I mean, I mean, and I hate them because they're in your division and you're supposed to hate every team in your division. I think that's just, you know, being a sports fan. Yeah. I probably hate the Angels more, to be honest with you. And I hate the yeah. Yankees certainly more just because they're soulless and evil. Do you have a scale that you calculate? Well, the Yankees would be like on a, like the gravity on Jupiter. I mean, like that's how much <laughs> I hate them. And somebody was trying to get me on this last week. Like, how could you root for the Astros here this week against yeah. the Yankees? I'm like, look. The Astros are a little like eight year uprising. The Yankees is like 120 years of being the worst thing in the world. So to me, it was an easy choice. But the Astros are pretty hateable. They are, you know, they, they did have a cheating scandal. They do have some players that are still connected to that. And but they've mended their ways, right? Well, they're not doing it anymore, yeah. but that doesn't mean they weren't doing it. And they were never really punished for it. So I think for a lot of folks, there was never that pound of flesh that they desired. Uh-huh. So that's what this is about. It would be nice if the Mariners have been able to punish the Astros, not just to beat them, just, right. but just because they just so deserve it. Yeah. Hmm. All right, so are there standout players that we oh, should... Well, we, I mean, we know who's so on the many. Astros now, right? But. So many. I mean, the Astros, depending where you want to look. I mean, obviously, pitching staff, Verlander is ridiculous. McCullers has been good, right. but injured a little bit. He might... You know, he had a little hiccup against the Yankees. What about the Phillies? I know nothing about that. All right, so let's talk Phillies then, because you kind of know Jordan Alvarez, yeah. and you know Altuve right. and Bregman and all those guys. Um, the Astros have some... Well, Bryce Harper is, if not the biggest name in baseball, he's certainly one of them. He was a 16-year old in high school in Vegas as every move was being followed because he was going to be the number one overall pick straight out of high school. He was. He's been a great, great player with first Washington and now Philly. Um, but for whatever reason, it it has always felt as if he's never lived up to the incredible. You know, he's supposed to be LeBron James, Michael Jordan. And he hit a huge home run in the eighth inning to send the Phillies to the World Series. So he is a great, interesting story. He plays hard, real hard, uh, and kind of does it all. They got a first baseman named Reese Hoskins who can really hit home runs. Big, powerful guy. Uh, they got next Mariner, Gene Segura, playing second base for them, him. right? He was here for a few years with Robbie Cano. Uh, he brought back uh, J.P. Crawford in the trade. Uh, so those are a couple of the big names. Their, their catcher's very good. JT Real Muto, Castellanos, another good player. I mean, they've got some good players. But it sounds like if, if <laughs> they're a collection of good players, where the Astros are a collection of great, great ones. Players. So if the Phillies won the World Series, this would be like earth shaking. It'd be a huge upset. Yeah. yeah, it really would. And I think that's one of the reasons that it, the environment in Philly just looks so off the charts crazy yeah. whenever they the camera pans to the to the to the stands. First of all, because it's Philly and people there are crazy, and especially about sports. Uh, get Aaron Mason down here; he'll certainly tell you about that. Um, but secondly, because this team has kind of come out of nowhere and generally those are the teams that truly capture the imagination of a city because they're not expected. Mm-hmm. But And also, though, if they beat the Astros in the World Series, it would probably sap the Astros' confidence for years to come, and they would just come crawling back to the next season. Yeah, that would be nice. Let's hope. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, that's what happened last year when the when the Braves beat the Astros, because nobody thought the Braves were going to be able to do that. They were a wild-card team also, and they beat the Astros fairly handily. They so last time. That's right. So, unfortunately, that didn't you know destroy their will to live either. So, I, I don't know what's going to do that. <laughs> Turns out you're just going to have to go out and get some better players. And the Mariners are going to be in play for some pretty good players this offseason, so so we don't have to get too deep into it now, but there are some really good free agents that are good fits for this team that are out there. Mike Sock from Seattle Sports 710. Thank you, Mike. Of course. In the nation's northwest corner is Washington.
It is Friday, and on Fridays, our resident historian Felix Bennell joins us for All Over the Map, a quick look at the stories behind local places and things. And today, Felix, you're taking us to the Pierce County community of Stillicum, which has been trying to preserve its historic railroad depot. Could you say that again with more feeling, Dave? Oh, wait, no, I'm not directing anymore. I thought we were still doing the radio play. I, I used yeah, up oh. all my feeling last night. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Uh, now, Stillicum, it's the oldest incorporated town in the Evergreen State. The name is an anglicization of an indigenous word first recorded by the Hudson's Bay Company, perhaps as early as 1824, and it might mean place of flowers. Now, Stillicum has been the accepted pronunciation for decades, according to Hugh Rundle's Guide to Place Names, published by Wazoo back in the 60s. Now, apparently, ABC's Richard Cantu did not have that guide back in 2017 when there was a derailment on the tracks there. Stylicum, Washington. You can't blame the guy. Stylicum? Stylicum, yeah. Hmm. Now, and so along those tracks there in uh, Stillicum, where the 1914 depot stands, it's stucco and brick, was designed by a noted architect named Arthur Potter Merrill. And, of course, you have to have three names if you want to be a noted architect. Now, the Stillicum depot served passengers until the 1960s. It was a freight depot until 1972. Burlington Northern used it for storage for a while, but it's been empty and boarded up for years. And the railroad, that's now BNSF, doesn't want the depot anymore. Longtime BNSF public affairs guy Gus Malonis retired recently, but he's serving as a consultant to the railroad these days. He loves railroad history, but says the Silicon Depot is too close to the tracks. We don't want it next to the main line right there. That's a high-speed, 60-plus trains, 24 hours a day, and we do not want the public near that structure. We don't want anybody to get hurt. We'd love to see it survive, but it has to be moved off the property, and we'd like to see a plan developed with the city sooner rather than later. He said BNSF is ready to donate the building. This, there was a similar depot-moving project we talked about over in Cheney not long ago. Now, leading the effort to preserve the depot is the Stillicum Historical Museum. Uh, Marianne Boll is a curator there. She's also chair of the Apple Squeeze, by the way, which took place earlier this month, a very popular event down in Stillicum. She told me right before the pandemic, the museum commissioned a study to estimate the cost of moving the depot off of BNSF property and onto adjacent city property. It's at least $1.2 million to encapsulate the brick and stucco and plywood, even if they only move it a very short distance. Now, since 2020, there's new leaders at City Hall in Stillicum. Marianne Bull says the city property nearest the depot is used for parking lots to generate a lot of revenue. So moving the depot would affect that. So the museum is just now restarting the process to generate support for the project and come up with a plan. We need to convince Stillicum, and there are a lot of people who want to save the depot, but we need to convince the administration that it's it's a fair trade-off to the value of Stillicum to have it restored and in a new uh, reusable position. Yeah, and there's no specific uh, use that's already planned for the depot, but it might make a great place for a visitor center, maybe something tied into the new maritime heritage area that's in the works. And BNSF's eager to make a deal, and the Stillicum Historical Museum has a track record of getting things done, so it seems like something really cool could come together. Excellent. All the details at MyNorthwest.com. Felix Pinnell, thank you. Thanks, Dave. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Arthur Seward. I'm here tonight to bear witness to the truth of certain events which you may find hard to believe, but I ask you to believe them. Though they took place in 1891, I'm somewhat anachronistically presenting them in the form of a sampler of several related podcasts. I know, right? That was somewhat anachronistic radio star Chris Sullivan <laughs> kicking off last night's spooky play, which took place in this very studio. We also have here the brains behind the operation, or at least the guy who wrote it. Yeah, I was going to say, who's going to be here doing us? <laughs> Felix Bunnell. Uh, it was our annual Halloween radio play, which we usually do in front of a live audience, but uh, we had to be our own audience last night. It was a classic, the classic vampire tale as told, and Felix came up, came up with this concept all by himself. <laughs> Dracula as told by podcasters. At Bistris, there was a letter of welcome for me from our client informing me that his carriage would await me at Borgo Pass. It was signed, Dracula. 
the coach driver was creepy, like someone you might see in a horror movie. And he had a weird accent that bore no geographic reference point, but that really stands out in a good way for a podcast. Bukovina! Coach for Bukovina! <laughs> so, <laughs> so you can hear there was some fine accent work. <laughs> Here's some more of that fine accent work. Listen. Here it is. It is him. The window! You waste your bullets, gentlemen. You think you baffle me? You with your pale faces all in a row, like sheep in a butcher's. You think you have left me without a place to rest. But I have more, and time is on my side. The one you love is mine already. I have known her, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Look it up or ask your mom and dad. <laughs> Already my mark is on her throat. Good thing this was after 8 o'clock. Yeah, no, this, is, yeah, this was, yeah, this was parental is, guidance suggested. That in, is creepy in, in so many ways. Yeah. Oh. So many ways. So, Felix, uh, just tell us all about the this production. Well, well, this is, you know, this is the Dracula script. The same people who did War of the Worlds in 1938 for their very first show, Orson Welles and his buddies, they, they tackled Dracula. And I found the original script really hard to understand. There's just so much going on. I added people actually saying the other characters' names so you could tell what was going on. And what they had done, they made it a series of letters and things, and it seemed like a podcast from the 19th century. Mm -hmm. And so it, it fit really well, I thought. And we had great vocal talent. Our own Nick here, our board op this morning. Yeah. Boy, he was fabulous. This is the Russian amazing. captain. Yeah. yeah, all right. And Spike O'Neill, was his first show, our, our uh, night show host, he was great as Van Helsing. I mean, he brought the, he was doing his own horse whinnying in between his lines. I know, I saw that. Really talented. It was amazing like, simultaneously. To watch. It's like that dual tone singing where you do your, your lines right. and your horse whinnying in the same. Performance. At the same time, well, you, yeah. you as the director, you you advised in the rehearsal that he not do Don't that. Don't even that try we, it. That we yep. bring in a professional horse winnier, but then <laughs> he he said no, I can do it, and he, and he proved it. I'm convinced. Yeah, yeah. But the, and we ended early as we never do on the show, and we had to really stretch the credits. We have about ten minutes of credits at the end. We're thinking once again, it's Dave Ross's Dracula. And in case in case you're just joining us, it was Dave Ross's Dracula. I think we credited people who were just walking <laughs> yeah, by. Just, on every listener was mentioned. Outside. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, all that has been that was. That was done live over the air, for those of you fortunate yep. enough to be listening last night. And actually, we had people listening on the stream, apparently, uh, all over in, the world. In Cyprus, someone in was listening. In Cyprus, yep. yeah. But it will be preserved at MyNorthWest.com forever. It, so it's you, there now. And yeah, it, will be, it will be unedited. So my morphing accent from British colonel to Transylvania vampire. Well, you know, Drac can do that. He can become a bat. He can become a children child of the night. So, of course, his voice is going to change. He has survived yes. so many centuries. It's true. That's true. true. That's what I was going for. Exactly. exactly. Everyone could tell. Yeah. Here's, uh, by the way, Ursula Routine was part of this. And... Uh, she was she was the uh, she was my fiance. Lucy West your fiance. Yeah, we had to kill her. Yeah. <laughs> what am I to do? Something's very sweet and very bitter around me, like I'm sinking into deep water. They're singing in my ears. I, I hope the mic is getting mm. this. I don't have my headphones on. You shall be flesh of my flesh. Yeah. I don't know who that was. Oh, by the way, uh, we, we mentioned uh, Spike O'Neill's ability to imitate a horse. This is um, this is actual audio of how that went last night. Nina has spied two horses following the wagon coming up from the south. It was Seward and Harker. The Slovaks with their heavy wagon are losing ground. Now the horses are not more than a mile behind. Now the wagon is quite close to us. We can see the great box swaying gravy. Now they're almost upon us. 
<laughs> and was he able to do the hooves as well? Uh, no, that was our sound effects guy, Curtis Takahashi, okay. who's a specialist we bring in for this. So, yeah, no, it was it's it's a team effort, and it's unlike anything anyone in the world is trying. I don't know why people aren't doing more of this, Dave. I can't tell why other stations don't do this all the time. I still I, scratch my head about that. I, I have no idea as I look at the, the pile of headphones that are still here in the studio. It's a mess. Yep. Extra mixers that had to be brought in. It took 15 engineers, and uh, there's a couple of pumpkins here on the, on the piano. There are some close quarters. We were sharing some microphones last yeah. night, too. Fortunately, everybody showered. So it, for the for the Christmas production, are we back live at Town Hall? Or we are what? not. We we're, are not. Not. We're, we're going to be back in the studio, but it's going to be more of a variety show. You're going to do, you might read The Night Before Christmas. It's going to be sort of like an Andy Williams Christmas it's special. It's going to be a variety show? Yeah, kind of just because I think we can rehearse the individual elements more thoroughly. Rather, than, It's so hard to get the whole group together. You know, we More so than the exhaustive production I know, planning it's, it's we very, put into this yesterday. Rigorous. It's so rigorous. It's such be, a rigorous rehearsal process. There's going to be four people with turning chairs here? I think we'll all be wearing cardigans and there'll be a piano player kind of tinkling in the background, keeping really? it all come together and we'll sing some songs. It's, so gonna, it's Brady an attempt. Bunch. Yeah. Brady yeah. Bunch feel? We'll have a Brady Bunch Christmas special exactly. Oh. It's in December. So I that will be um, interesting. <laughs> I hope I hope I can pencil you in, Dave. <laughs> uh, give me some advance notice, would you? Especially if you're going to ask anybody to sing. There might be a lot of horse whinnying in will this episode, I'm thinking. Yeah, Christmas with the horses. Thank you, Felix. I feel like I'm in a stable suddenly. <laughs> Seattle's Morning News. This is Dave Ross with Heather Bosch, who's in for Colleen and Chris Sullivan. And joining us now, the host of CBS's Face the Nation, Margaret Brennan. So it sounds like the latest polls are saying it's a done deal. Republicans take over the House, possibly the Senate. Well, nothing's done until, of course, Election Day and the days after. But uh, CBS News Elections and Surveys guru Anthony Salvanto has looked at the estimates we have. And the estimates are that Republicans will take the House um, with about six seats more than they need to establish a majority. We're going to have updated numbers for you this Sunday on just exactly how big of an advantage that is um, and whether it's grown. Uh, the last reporting we had was that the Democratic momentum had stalled. That benefit that they had banked on the back of concern about abortion access may have been maxed out as increased concerns about the state of the economy now dominate. So that that's where we have been. We'll get those updated numbers for you on what could also be some very tight Senate races um, as we look to see whether it's unified control of Congress or whether the House and Senate could go uh, to different parties. Yeah, it wasn't just the abortion issue, though. They were trying to hammer away at the threat to democracy issue with yes. the January 6th hearings. Is, is it fair to say that fell flat? Well, um, you know, it, it's kind of hard to judge until you see turn up. But in terms of whether there was a massive political benefit at the uh, ballot box from that, un, uh, unclear. Uh, did it create doubts uh, potentially among conservatives uh, in terms of just voting along party lines? Or uh, did it further motivate? This is the big question. Those sort of, as we call them at CBS, Trump true believers who see this not as um, an inquiry of the attack, but rather some sort of persecution of the former president and thus somehow see their vote as a proxy of that. It's it's all unclear. Plus, you have um, s- doubts being sowed about the integrity of the, of the of the election by some Trump supporters. So that br- raises 
raises that question once again of whether they will actually turn out. According to CBS News estimates, though, those Trump true believers make up about um, 20 percent of likely voters. What's your take on John Fetterman's performance in the the debate in the Pennsylvania Senate race? I, I saw on MSNBC a passionate defense of him from Lawrence O'Donnell, who's, who basically compared him to FDR, who had a disability, to uh, Winston Churchill, who was able to bring Britain through World War II, even though he suffered from a, a whole menu of maladies. So what was your take? Well, there are two sitting senators who have recently um, experienced strokes. So, you know, if you put it in context to that, that there's a conversation worth having along with, you know, one better held with a doctor about what the actual recovery looks like. But in terms of just sort of public impressions of um, ability, you know, being quick on your feet is is part of participating in um, in a debate. And, uh, you know, the, the John Fetterman and Mehmet Oz, Dr. Mehmet Oz are in this very tight race. And so um, he took a gamble by showing up at all and participating at a time when he has said he is still really in recovery with these auditory issues post his stroke. So um, did it damage? Did it motivate? Uh, We will see. But we know that this is a tight race already was even before this debate. Um, And so we're going to be watching it closely. Another thing that came up this week was this letter written by uh, a representative we know well, Pramila Jayapal, who represents basically the city of Seattle and uh, and is head of the Progressive mm-hmm. Caucus in, in the Congress, suggesting that the U.S. should negotiate directly with Russia over Ukraine. She was condemned even by fellow Democrats. She says it was a mistake. But does this, in fact, reveal uh, a feeling on the left that we're getting into another Vietnam here? Well, I mean, the United States isn't involved in the conflict, so um, it would be hard to make that comparison. But in terms of um, populist sentiment, in terms of isolationist sentiment, I would say that I see that on the extremes of both parties yeah. right now. I see that among progressive Democrats. I hear that from um, the, the Trump true believers we talked about, uh, who, folks who see this as sort of a, like a limited set of funds and somehow their pothole isn't you know filled in on their street because of weapons being sent to Ukraine. That's not how it works. But what you are are seeing is this increased um, populist sentiment that has been echoed by uh, Pramila Jayapal potentially in this letter, although she has retracted it now. Yeah. Uh, you had Kevin McCarthy, who may become a Speaker of the House if Republicans win the majority there, talking about how it's going to be harder to get aid to Ukraine through Congress um, and, and pointing to uh, problems with inflation here as being the culprit for that. But uh, you certainly have his critics like Liz Cheney uh, saying that that reflects that he's part of the pro-Putin wing of the Republican Party. So um, we, we will be watching this. Uh, you know, public sentiment has continued to be with the Ukrainian people. And seriously, U.S. aid and weapons are very key to their ability right. to continue fighting. Because I noticed Republicans were, were silent on this. So do you, do you think there's the possibility after all the election hubbub is over that there would be an alliance between the, the Jayapal <laughs> wing of the Democrats and the McCarthy wing of the Republicans saying uh, we don't want to be involved in this anymore? Well, you know, the, the letter, this two-page letter that was drafted back in July and then recalled just this week by Pramila Jayapal, um, put the emphasis on diplomatic engagement. And, and this is the part where um, no one's against diplomatic engagement. However, it 
has the assumption built into it that somehow there's not an end to the war because people just aren't talking it through. Whereas there are real questions to be raised about Vladimir Putin's intention here when he is carrying out what the president of the United States calls a genocide. Can you actually negotiate someone who wants to wipe a group of people off the face of the earth? Can that really be a negotiation, right? Like that's the fundamental question here about American values. So this is what makes it very hard to force a conversation saying, hey, guys, can't you just hash it out? Um, So, you know, this is where the president will be. We'll we'll see post-election. I know uh, in the Republican-held Senate or in, in the Republican Senate, um, which could become a Republican-held Senate, uh, Mitch McConnell has been a strong ally to the Ukrainian people and has uh, talked about his belief that this needs to con- continue. So you could actually see an alliance there in some ways between uh, McConnell and Biden on that issue. Margaret Brennan, host of Face the Nation. Margaret, thanks very much. Thank you. Your Daily Dose of Kindness brought to you by Baird, focused on your financial needs since 1919. Visit BairdSeattle.com. Our nation's first ladies are focusing the spotlight on American women who've made a difference. CBS's Nora O'Donnell tells us about it. All of the living first ladies are coming together to spearhead an effort to recognize remarkable trailblazers who paved the way for generations of women. The goal is to bring a women's suffrage national monument to the National Mall right here in the heart of the nation's capital. The team is unveiling ambassadors that will join together to make it a reality. I will become an ambassador to the project alongside strong women like Rosaria Dawson, Allie Reisman, Retta, Doris Kearns Goodwin, and the longest serving woman in Congress, former Senator Barbara Mikulski. The Women's Suffrage National Monument Foundation began in 2018. According to the foundation, fewer than 5% of outdoor monuments in the U.S. tell women's stories. The Women's Suffrage National Monument is currently scheduled to be unveiled in the summer of 2027. 747 and now direct from the Gian Ursula Show, which starts at 9 right here in Cairo News Radio. Here he is in person sitting in the seat. G. Scott. So the New York Giants are a pretty good team this year, right? Yes, yes they are. Hmm. Very good. It's not just that they're in a, a terrible division or anything? Uh, no, they're actually in a division with the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys, and then there's the Washington Commanders. But sometimes the Washington Commanders seem to pull wins. No, the, the Giants are a very good game. There are a lot of people right now that are regretting giving away their tickets for this game, right? I, I had somebody call me yesterday and say, hey, hey, gee, man, I, I already promised some tickets. You got another two that you can, no, you think I got another two tickets just laying around the bed? No, there nobody expected for this game coming up here at Lumen Field to be a huge game. You got the Seattle Seahawks at four and three, number one in their division. And then, of course, you got these red hot New York Giants that are coming in town that are six and one. And here's what makes them really good. Daniel Jones, their quarterback, is he hasn't really been that great. However, he's very athletic. The dude can run. He rushed for over 90-something yards last week. And then, of course, they have a really good running back by the name of Saquon Barkley, who was the number one pick in the NFL draft a few years ago. He runs the ball well. So the reason why I'm bringing that up is that is kind of an Achilles heel 
for the Seahawks defense, a offense that can run the ball well, or the Giants can run the ball well. So it's going to be a huge game. I was going to ask you about the the defense. Um, we're not looking as good as we could this this year. Well, they, that's the, that's the good news, though, Heather. They've kind of turned it around. This defense, that they, they they're young. They got those guys in the secondary. Kobe Bryant, Tariq Woolen. They are really really good. I mean, I'm not trying to compare them to that other group, but I'm going to tell you right now, it is probably the best young group that we've had since the, uh, the Legion of Boom. So yeah, we that's have exciting. High expectations. High, totally high expectations. High expectations. So this defense is going to be put to the test. The opinion that people used to have about the Giants, no, this Giants offense can really, really uh, put some points on the board. Now, what's the good news? The good news is, is the receivers. Uh, the Giants, they don't own offense. They don't really have the greatest wide receivers every week. There's always kind of a replacement because they've been dealing with a lot of injuries. So that's where uh, we can maybe make maybe the Seahawks can make the Giants one dimensional and they get that win out there. But talking about that, do we know if DK will be in the game this weekend? No, we don't know that. Oof. But if I had to give an opinion. Okay. Better to give an opinion. I would say I would personally like to see DK not play this week because then, therefore, you can kind of like give him a rest because that patella, right, that tendonitis and everything, that can that can kind of flare up really bad. So maybe maybe a week off maybe would be nice, but we'll, we'll see. But no, we don't know whether or not he's going to play. Any reaction? To, I mean, you blame the artificial turf, basically. I can't stand artificial turf. Yeah. There should be no artificial turf at all. I don't think, not just pros, I don't think college should play on it. I don't think high school kids should play on it. It is not good. As a matter of fact, Odell Beckham, the wide receiver, the star wide receiver in the NFL, he wants to do away with it as well. All football should be played on grass. I mean, come on now. Isn't grass softer? Yes. <laughs> yes. So, so, but, but Lumen Fields has it, right? No, not like that. They got some, they got some more of a grass that's in there. Not 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 great, but yeah. Well, what, what, then what do you mean by artificial? Turf? Are, 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 it, well, that's the the real thin stuff, right? That's where it's uh-huh. down there. You I mean, just like you, a carpet. You go to it's kind of like a carpet, and you kind of see you kind of see the little little beaded up tire, balled up tires that's on there. You kind of see that uh-huh. on on the ground. So it's really thin and it's hard, and it's like it's like running on concrete or running on a treadmill, right? It's yeah. a little tougher on your joints on concrete sometimes. Okay, so you're okay with the Lumen Field artificial grass, whatever it is. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm hey, Dave, I'm okay with everything that Lumen Field does. Okay. 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 Yes, sir. Yes, <laughs> Lumen Field is the greatest field in the National Football League. Any and everything. They got the best soda. They got the best popcorn, hot dogs, and field. Okay. Well. That's crystal clear now. So, uh, since you were you were so accurate on your last prediction, I mean, you didn't get the score right, but you got the winning team right. Yeah. Do you want to make a prediction for this Sunday? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, the Seahawks have a really good running game as well. I told y'all before. I'm going to tell you again. Kenneth Walker the third is going III. to be the household name that folks are going to be paying attention to. So I'm going to say that the Seahawks are going to win 31 to 24. Kenneth Walker the third, number nine. Yes, yes, yes. I learned that last week. 31 to 24. Awesome. Your last prediction was 31 17, right? You like the number 31 for some reason. Well, you know, it just sounds good. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, was there anything else you want to talk to me about? Only graffiti, but we only have 30 seconds for that. I, I heard your, your rant on graffiti yesterday, and I have to say I completely agree. I was just surprised that you were so hard on uh, the the graffiti artist. Well, I like clean things. Yeah. And even in my own house, if there is a scuff mark on my paint, it gets taken care of right away. I can't stand that. And nothing makes in a neighborhood or community look bad when you have graffiti and somebody says well gee well what about the art i'm not talking about the art i'm talking about the vast majority of the people that go out there and mark on things you ready for this without permission yeah that's the problem that's vandalism that's vandalism it's not graffiti and and, and, and then you know what they need to do they need to make the penalty and the consequence a a way higher not a little higher but these are just kids they're just little kids Oh, man. Hey, if it's just little kids, you come and paint my house. Yeah, I'm a, you're going to get treated like an adult. She's <laughs> Scott at nine on Kyra. Me, me, meaning not that I'm going to do anything to you. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to call somebody. No, That's I get what it. I, mean. I get it. Okay. You can ring my bell. Ring Seattle's Morning News. This is Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien. And here's Rachel Bell to reveal the scented candle scandal. What happened? Well, I was wearing a sandal when I read about this scandal. The scented candle scandal sandal? That's right. Mm -hmm. Uh, So over the past year, Yankee Candles have been getting more and more negative reviews on Amazon. These are trendy candles that have been around forever that are known for their, you know, in my opinion, too strong scents, but people like them. The reviews are things like, this candle has no scent went lit. Very disappointed. One star review. No scent. Very disappointed disappointed and embarrassed as this was a gift read another like i said i think these candles smell too strong well some folks on twitter noticed this sudden trend and wondered if there was a connection with covid Uh because you can lose your smell and be anosmic so this assistant professor of political science at northeastern his name is nicholas bochamp uh, or bouchamp depending on how he might say it Mm -hmm. uh, decided to do an actual study because he said that sometimes you can predict public health situations by things like this, by, you know, things that are happening in the world. So he turned it into a full paper. He did all this complicated scientific method stuff that I don't want to repeat because I will say it wrong. Stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) And he presented this week at the International AAAI Conference on Web and Social Media and found that there is a clear link between these no small reviews and the uptick in COVID cases. So for every, this doesn't sound like a lot, but it is a lot. For every 100,000 new COVID-19 cases per week, he found no small reviews increased by a quarter of a percentage in the next week. That's amazing. So they can use this to kind of reverse engineer it and say, oh no, the review is it, the reviews are worse for Yankee Candles. That means that we're going to have a surge coming. It's like an early indicator of a, of a COVID epidemic. Yes, well, does exactly. Yankee Candle get to yank back their reputation? I mean, I feel wow, like all those... you guys today are on Look fire. Wow. <laughs> the wordplay is amazing. Yeah, because that, I mean, that could be devastating to a business. And we know that stores are already closing in malls. So Yeah, well, hopefully a story like this gets out so yeah. that people can say, oh, that's why the candle didn't smell. It's not the candle's fault. Yeah. It's my own nose. It's not you, it's me. Yep, there yeah. you go. By the by, of the mild and moderate cases of COVID, I have to say that losing your sense of taste 
is just the worst. Mm-hmm. The smell and the taste, that's the worst. It was. I, I mean, we talked about it on the show. I lost my sense of taste and smell for a week, but you don't know when it's coming back. And yeah. I, I just like was not enjoying my life at all. It was mm-hmm. so sad that yeah. week. I kept, like I told I kept overeating because I couldn't satiate my appetite by tasting the food. And so I would keep eating, hoping that I would be satisfied. And then I'd be like, oh, I'm too full. It was terrible. And I had the opposite. For the first time in my life, I was not eating very much. I eat a lot all the time. I was like, what's the point? I turned into a real Eeyore. You know, and here's Dave over here, COVID-free for life. Yeah, you're good. How are you pulling it off? I don't know. Masks? Statins? (laughs) I don't know. The Antisocial behaviors? The beard must block the COVIDs from coming in. Yeah, I just talked to my mom a couple days ago. She said she just took her first COVID test ever. I said, you made it this far without even having to take a COVID test? Oh, I kind of like it. It tickled. I said, well, yeah, because you didn't have to take the early ones where they were in your brain. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of brains, Dave Ross has a big one and his... Nice segue. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And the local newspaper, local being the town where you grew up, Yorktown Heights, yes. which is actually a small town in kind of upstate New York. You're where, familiar with Where that. my family also lives, my oh aunt my and gosh, uncle. Are you guys related? Yes. No. Oh. no. <laughs> he is not claiming you, Rachel. Well, he said it hard. No. <laughs> I don't want you in my family. So you were cleaning up or something, and Dave yesterday, not meaning for this to go on air, yeah. uh, found this newspaper article, this yellowed paper featuring him when he was 17 years Aww, old cutie. at his very first radio job because I had asked him yesterday I said this is my 20th year in radio how long have you been in radio forever so yeah since you you started before me I started at 19 see professionally though where was this WVIP AM and FM Mount Kisco New York your gray flannel radio station of suburban Westchester you even remember all of that that's amazing so I want to read a little bit from the article Uh, at 17 Dave Ross already has a career it starts and then there's a couple sections there's this beginning paragraph and then the second one is titled Duties and Output. And then the third the third paragraph is about Dave. It says, a practical person. Quote, Dave is an idea man. I have to read this like it's old school radio. How much creative potential he's got, we can only guess. But it's at least gifted. His peers see him as a terse, take it or leave it guy. But the other side of him is shy humility. Quote, I'm not a cosmic person. I think of myself as being a practical sort who uses wit as a device for getting his point across. I don't see myself as being particularly talented. The fact is, Dave Ross has talent to burn. Oh, yeah. my gosh. And how much is he still that? Pr- you knew who you were at 17. Well, the guy who wrote this knew who I was at 17 anyway. Yeah. See, look at that. That humility right there. See, he, this, the, the guy who wrote it was the editor of the paper who also taught at the high school. This is nepotism. So, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I was writing opinion pieces for him. Dave, that was my first look at the evidence in front of you. You have had a storied career for nearly five it's, decades. It has been a wonderful career. It wasn't yes. nepotism and it wasn't a lucky guess. You are a talented person who deserved the recognition then and still deserves it now. And like it says at the end of the article, he was an honor roll student. Hmm. Shouldn't angels be singing at this point? (laughs) There you go. Thank you. (laughs) Well, if you'd like to see this amazing picture and maybe zoom in and see part of the article, I'm going to post this right now on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash hello, Rachel Bell. Check it out. Thank you, Rachel. No, thank you. (laughs) There's no privacy anymore. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News. You can hear us live every morning on 97.3 FM or subscribe to this podcast and you'll never miss the show.